Well, thank you, Kyle. Thank you, choir, and thank all of you for taking part in our worship this morning. If you brought your Bibles, we're going to look first at Luke 23. Luke 23. We'll look at verse 46 through 47. I'd like to share with you in a sermon that I've simply entitled, The Secret of Ultimate Living. The Secret of Ultimate Living. The Secret of Ultimate Living. And we'll look at Luke 23, and then several passages after that, and it should be on the screen. And so you can uh, look at the screen or follow along in your Bibles, whichever. <clears throat> Luke 23. Let's look at Luke 23, and we'll look at first at verse 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. And when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. Look, if you will, for our text, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. This morning at the conclusion of God's message to us, we'll be observing the Lord's Supper. Now, there's a purpose for which the church observes the Lord's Supper. Please remember that the Lord's Supper has no power whatsoever to bring or to impart salvation on a person's life. There's some today who teach what is known as the doctrine of transubstantiation, which simply means the bread, the wine, becomes the body and the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The point is, if you believe that the Lord's Supper has power to impart salvation or has power to, to bring salvation, then you have a false impression of the Lord's Supper. So when you come to Christ, when you turn from your sins and you turn to him and, and you believe by faith his uh, virgin birth and you believe by faith his substitutionary death and when you believe by faith his bodily resurrection, at that very moment the believer receives all the benefits of his body and his blood that was offered at the cross at that moment. So why do we partake of the Lord's Supper? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 will tell us. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 24. Jesus speaking to his disciples, and when he'd given thanks, he, he broke the bread. He said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Here's why we do it. This do in remembrance of me. Then verse 24, when he had given thanks, he said, Take, eat this, my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, after the same manner also, he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, and here it is, the cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it 
in remembrance of me. So why do we take the Lord's Supper? We take the Lord's Supper, partake of the Lord's Supper to remember him. Now, because of our worldliness, we kind of grow casual and we grow cold and indifferent toward the Lord Jesus from time to time. And the Lord knew that our human nature would eventually, from time to time, draw us away from him. And our love for him would not be as it should be. Last Sunday night, we began an in-depth study on the seven churches of Revelation, Kyle Taylor's teaching that study and during discipleship training. And last Sunday night, we learned of the church of Ephesus. They'd committed a terrible sin. They were a great church in many regards, but they had committed this terrible sin. They had left their first love. And so today, let me just ask you to examine your spiritual temperature And ask yourself, am I hot in regards to my love for Christ? Do I have this, am I deeply in love with the Savior? Am I warm as far as my temperature, my love temperature for Jesus, and that I feel close to him? But I have been closer. Or am I lukewarm? I I just go through the motions, but I don't have the passion for Jesus that I once had. Are you just uh, cold? I'm just pretty distant. I'm indifferent to Christ. Well, you see, the Lord's Supper provides the believer an opportunity to be restored in regards to his love relationship with Jesus. I like that word restored. It means to bring back to the original. I was talking to Brad Osborne today about some work I wanted to do on my truck. And years ago, I had this old 1951 Ford flathead pickup. It's the first thing Judy and I went in debt for. We bought that truck, and I restored it back to the original. I restored it. I brought it back to what it once was. Well, the Lord's Supper gives us an opportunity as a Christian to, for us to take time to reflect where we can restore that love relationship that we once had with Christ. So we partake of the Lord's Supper. Why? To remember him. And so today we want to remember the blessings of his crucified life. And then we want to renew our covenant relationship with him and faithful obedience. So this morning, the words of Jesus as he hung on the cross, as he hung dying on the cross, we can understand how we can have an ultimate or an abundant life. Uh, an ultimate life, an abundant life, just by those words. Uh, We hear about going on an ultimate vacation. We hear about going on an ultimate cruise, the best. We hear about going, uh, driving an just an ultimate automobile. Well, I want an ultimate life. I'd rather have an ultimate life, live an ultimate life, than any of those things that I mentioned. And let me just say this, only Jesus Christ will be able to give you, to give me an ultimate life here on this earth, an eternal life in heaven. And so what's involved in having an ultimate life or living abundant life, what's involved in that? I've listed four things I want to mention real quick. 
The first thing is involved in having an ultimate life or living an ultimate or abundant life is that we have to have an ultimate relationship. An ultimate relationship. Now I'm going to take the words of Jesus and show how Jesus says that we can have an ultimate or an abundant life. First of all, this ultimate relationship. He said with a loud voice, Father, just one word, Father. So the secret of ultimate living is expressed in a relationship with a heavenly Father. You'll never have an abundant life or live it to the fullest without a heavenly relationship with the Father. You see, Jesus loved the word Father. Joseph and Mary, they went to, the, went to Jerusalem to, to be a part of prayer time. And, and uh, they made a great journey and they retired and they started home and they couldn't find Jesus. And they looked for Jesus. They couldn't find him. They went back to the temple and they found Jesus sitting at the feet of the theologians. And his mother, Mary, kindly scolded Jesus somewhat and said, Jesus, we've been looking for you. And he said this, Wast you not know that I must be about my father's business? Those were the first recorded words that we have from the mouth of Jesus. The first recorded words indicated that he had a father in heaven. The Sermon on the Mount mentioned the word Father 17 times. John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, he mentioned the word Father six times. The Paschal Discourse, he mentioned the word Father 45 times. The point being, to be able to call God Father is an ultimate relationship. Can you call God Father today? Can you, have you experienced the ultimate relationship of having Christ to come into your life and reside in your life where you can call him Father? See, you cannot experience an ultimate life until you have an ultimate relationship with the Heavenly Father. Now, we'll never know God the Father as Jesus did. Um, He was the only begotten Son of God. The word begotten there refers to the only one of his kind. He was of God. He was of his Father, God. But but we can become the sons of God, not to the extent of Jesus, because he was set apart. He was the only begotten, the only one of his kind. He was different. He was special. He was unique. He was one of a kind. And the Bible teaches us that we become sons through adoption. And you and I as believers can call God Father. But only the Christian can call God Father. Now the Bible doesn't teach the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. Where we all, and you hear from time to time, I hear it on, uh, on TV, on, on talk shows. We're all God's children. Well, we're creations of God. But the Bible doesn't teach that we're all God's children. Doesn't teach the brotherhood, the, the fatherhood of God, the brotherhood of man. We can we are brothers and sisters to the extent that we live on the same planet, we breathe the same oxygen, we walk and we live and we work on this earth together. That's our brother and sister relationship. Galatians chapter four. Galatians four, jot this verse down, verse four through seven. 
He says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And so the only way that we can come to know God as Father is through a salvation experience with Jesus Christ. Not everybody, not everybody are children of God. That comes through a salvation experience. And so I realized one day, I, you know, I was born uh, physically and I became a physical son of a physical father and Later I realized that I was a sinner and I asked God to forgive me of my sins and I turned from my sins and turned to Jesus and by faith put my faith and trust in him and he forgave me and I trusted him as Lord and Savior of my life. And when I did so, I was not only a physical son of a physical father, but I became a spiritual son of a spiritual father. And Jesus Christ, God the Father, became my father. Therefore, if you want to have an abundant life, an ultimate life, live life to its fullest, you must have the ultimate relationship of God the Father, or you won't have it. The question is, as Jesus hung on the cross in a very difficult time of his life and cried out to God and said, Father, can you cry out to God the Father in your time of need? Can you lift your voice toward heaven and say, Father, is he your heavenly Father? So to have an ultimate life involves an ultimate relationship with a heavenly Father, but it also involves ultimate security. I notice this. Notice what he says, Father, into thy hands. Into thy hands. A recent Gallup post said that the number one priority of the number one desire in America is to be secure. We want to be secure. Now let me ask you this, how can you be any more secure than knowing that you're in the hands of the Heavenly Father? Can you be any more secure? Can I be any more secure than that? To know that you're in the hands of God, how could you be any more secure that we can depend on our allies and we'll be more secure? Or that we can depend on the military and we'll be more secure. Or we can depend on our gold and silver and all of our money, we'll be real secure. Or we can depend on the stock market and it's looking real good right now and you might feel secure. But how can you feel more secure than having Jesus Christ or being in the hands of God the Father? Now, if you have an ultimate relationship with God the Father, you put your life in his hands... Friend, listen, you have ultimate security. Ultimate security. Listen to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 28 says this, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. No one. No one can pluck you or I out of the hand of God. 
So as a believer, do you know that you're in the hands of God? You know, when you, get, when you got saved, you were put into the hands of God. You were placed in his hands. Can you imagine how the demons of hell and the devil himself would try to pull you or me out of the hand of God? That's never going to happen. Never happen. Once you're born again, once you're saved, you're in the hands of God. John 10, verse 29, same chapter, verse 29. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So when you're in the hands of God, you're secure. So you have an ultimate relationship. You have an ultimate security. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Jot this down. The Bible says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Listen to what Paul says. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Paul said, I know. I know. Greek word there, the, the Greek word adia, I know in. The English says, for I know whom. The Greek word says, I know in. Now there's a big difference. I know in whom I have believed. If the Greek were to say, I know when, or I know whom, I'm sorry, the word would indicate that I know God by hearsay. But Paul said it goes deeper than that. I know in. I know in whom. I know, I know the inside story. Paul said, I know as one who has believed. I know as an insider. I know as one who's been born again. I know as one who is in the hands of God. I know by experience. I know. But you know, um, it's not always good to be in the hands of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, simply says this. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. See, if you've never been born again, one day you're going to fall into the hands of a living God, unredeemed. You're going to fall into the hands of God, unsaved, unconverted. One day without Christ, you're going to fall into the hands of a holy God. And that's why it's so important to give your life to Jesus and have that security in your life. So to have the ultimate life, you have to have an ultimate relationship with the Father. Then you have to have ultimate security. But I'll notice something else. You have to have ultimate commitment. He says, Father... Into thy hands I commend, I commend my spirit. I commend. The Greek word for command there is to deposit a thing. To place in one's charge or to place in one's trust. Father, I totally commit myself to you. I deliver my life into your hands. Now, I've heard people say from time to time, well, uh, I'm, uh, 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 I live my own life. Uh, I'm the master of my own, I'm the captain of my own ship. 
or uh, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've climbed one mountain, I'll get over this mountain. Uh, I pull myself up by my bootstraps. Um, you know, I'm, I'm my own boss, I'm my own man. You know, that doesn't impress God one bit. The, the smartest decision you or I will ever make is to personally deliver ourselves to God to be in his hands. To deliver ourselves to Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate commitment. When you deliver your all to God, that's the ultimate so no matter what you've done, no matter what type of life you've lived, no matter what type of evil has consumed you, he'll accept you, he'll forgive you, he'll save you, and he'll make a beautiful picture out of your life if you will commit yourself, deliver yourself to him, and ask him to forgive you and to come into your life and save you. How do I have an abundant life? How do I experience an ultimate life? You have an ultimate relationship, Father, an ultimate security into thy hands, an ultimate commitment, I command, and then an ultimate success. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Now, you and I are going to die one day um, unless the Lord comes back soon. Uh, have you ever noticed how people are getting older? We think everybody's getting older, but us. But we're getting older. Uh, heard about a man going to the doctor and came back from the doctor. His friend knew he went to the doctor. And his friend said, oh, you look so gloomy. You look so discouraged. What's, what's the problem? He said, well, he, he gave me four pills to take. He said, I had to take them the rest of my life. And he says, well, I don't see a problem with that. And he said, well, he didn't give me but four pills to take, so... Yes, if you had to take them the rest of your life, no good of that. But um, we're going to die one day. But we have a choice. Either I'm going to face death, and I'll face it and be defeated, or I'll face death, and I'll be, it'll be, I'll be able to defeat death. I'll face death. I'll either be defeated or I can defeat death. You see, I'm not going to allow death to defeat me because according to the Bible, I'm in Christ and Christ is in God and I'm in God's hand and Christ died, Christ arose, Christ pulled the stinger out of death and death doesn't have victory over my life. There's no sting in the grave because what Jesus did on the cross and I'll not be defeated by death because death through Christ has been defeated for the Christian. So why should I feel defeated by something that's been defeated? Let me ask you this morning, friend, have you trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life?